everyone. Good morning. Hi out there in the patio, enjoying the sunshine. I'm just looking at Janine back there. She's got sunglasses. It's sort of like the bleachers at a Major League Baseball game. It's like nice and chill. We serve beverages out on the patio. It's really nice when it's sunny. Hey, we've not met before. My name is Adam, and I am a pastor here at Highway. And uh, so good to see you on what is sort of like a holiday week. This is Ski Week in California. I grew up in Oklahoma. Uh, we didn't have Ski Week. <laughs> different strokes for different folks. This is uh, a different kind of thing, but so honored that you're here. Last week was my first Sunday since I've been the lead pastor here that I missed uh, being with you all. I was in Chicago, and I worshiped with another church there. And uh, it was so cool, as, as some of you have done before, to worship at a different community. Uh, it, was, it was beautiful, but I want to let you know they were not as cool as you. <laughs> I miss being with you all, so uh, glad to be back. And yes, junior high and high schoolers, I, according to Jana, will try to be as entertaining as possible. We'll see how that goes. Uh, so let's get started here. The year is 1992, and I'm nine years old. Don't do the math there. Thank you. And I'm laying in bed, and I'm unable to sleep. I feel a pressure and a heaviness in my chest, and I'm cycling between wanting to cry and scream. It's the first time I've experienced this kind of intense level of shame and guilt. Uh, See, two days earlier, I'd done something I felt horrible about. In our class, there was a kid named Jeff. And Jeff was quiet. He often wore clothes that were dirty. His shoes were falling apart. And he didn't always smell pleasant. And so you can guess how he was treated by many kids in the school. But my parents were were pretty great. And they taught me to always treat other kids and people the same, regardless of their appearance or their demeanor. Uh, But there was a problem. There was a group of kids that were super cool. I mean, really cool. They listened to MC Hammer, and I wasn't allowed to do that. They wore Jordan shoes. And I have this part of me that sometimes wants people to like me, especially people like this. So one day, they were pestering Jeff and wanted me to go along with it. And as our class walked in our halls, they told me to step on the backs of his feet the entire time. Because the thing was, he couldn't afford new shoes, so the soles would flap. And if you stepped on them, they'd almost make his shoes come apart. I knew it was mean. I knew it was wrong. But I did it. I stepped on them over and over again, and I listened to the snickering from the cool kids. But then I watched as Jeff stumbled And I tried to ignore it, but his face started turning bright red, and eventually some tears started coming down. And they gave me high fives, but my heart burned. And it did. For many days and weeks afterwards, Jeff's red face was burned into my brain. At night, I imagined his emotions and his fear, his embarrassment, and I felt horrible. And this is a small circumstance, but it's also not. It was big. It was one of the first times I wrestled with my ability to do things that were against who I thought I really was. It was the first time I laid in bed with regret and sorrow, feeling the weight on my chest. For all of us, we might have a moment where this started as a kid, but it continues today. We have an internal understanding of who we should be, of what is good, what is right, but then we betray this sense 
And the result is this weight, this burden, this heaviness. And for all of us humans, uh, there are these weights and these burdens that we end up carrying. There, there's the weight of mistakes. For some of us, we just we just messed up. We didn't mean to, but we made a mistake. It wasn't intentional. We broke a promise. We let some words slip out. There's the weight of regret. I wish I would have said that differently. I wish I could take back what I did. There's the weight of uh, rebellion. Sometimes we know the right thing to do, but we just decide not to do it, to go against that. Rebellion. But then there's uh, other kinds of weights too. There's some weights that uh, are not things that we have done, but things that others have done to us. And we hold on to those too. Uh, There's the weight of betrayal. A friend, a coworker, an organization, a church, a family member betrayed you. And you can't stop thinking about it. At night, you wonder, like, how how could they do something like this? Or maybe someone just let you down. They promised you, you trusted them, you hoped in them, and they didn't come through. Or maybe someone just simply hurt you. Maybe they judged the way you look or your race or your decisions. Maybe they hurt you by leaving you out of stuff or treating you as invaluable. So all these weights, all of them together, they start to accumulate. We begin living our lives heavy, stressing under the weight of burdens. And uh, I saw some junior high kids up here. You guys want to test out this weight real quick? Okay. They're going to be our... See how you do, Casey. Okay. Tell me how it is. just about as heavy as my school backpack. Oh, my gosh. You're ruining my illustration, Casey. Come on, man. That's heavy. Let's try it out. It's not actually that heavy. That's heavy. Don't listen to him. That's heavy, right? Tell the people. Okay. Let's give it up for uh, our, our junior hires here. Okay, so apparently I'm just old and weak. This is unbelievably heavy for me. Okay. So, I wonder, I wonder, what weight and burden are you carrying into today? Maybe no one else is aware of it. It's not something you talk about because that's not something we do a lot, but you feel the weight slowly bringing you down. Something you've done a long time ago. Maybe it's something someone else did to you recently or a long time ago. Maybe it was someone in this room. Maybe someone right next to you. Don't look at them right now. That wouldn't be a good idea. This entire Lent season, we're going to be uh, looking and reflecting on Jesus's last words on the cross from now until Easter. And we're calling this series Parting Words. This tradition has been a part of the Christian tradition for many years. We reflect on the last phrases that Jesus spoke before he died. And the phrase we're looking at today is all about this concept of weight and burdens and heaviness that we carry. So let's look together at this scene where we'll be rooted for the next six weeks. And part of the beauty of the church calendar is each year we get to remember and think anew about the cross. So we're going to be in Luke 23 this morning. And we first see this response of this mob of the people. Groups of people have been following Jesus for years. Just recently, a group of people had shouted out praise about Jesus. Hosanna 
the one who saves. But now the group is still shouting, but they're shouting something different. After Pilate says there's nothing Jesus has done to deserve death, we see this from the people. Then they all shouted out together, away with this fellow, release Barabbas for us. They kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And they keep urgently demanding with loud shouts that he should be crucified. And their voices prevail. As we read this, you can feel, you can sense the thirst for blood, the emotion, the mob mentality. And just imagine for a moment the perspective of Jesus. In this moment, he's physically alone. He is God in the flesh coming to bring a kingdom of love and restoration. And his people are yelling with ravenous desire for him to be crucified. It's a betrayal unlike anything imagined. When a criminal was condemned to crucifixion, the cross was put on their back, this heavy weight, and they were to march down the longest route to the place of crucifixion. And at this certain point on this march, we get to see this humanity of Jesus. The cross becomes too heavy. Jesus apparently wasn't as strong as these two gentlemen down here. And we see this in Luke. As they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, and they laid the cross on him. And they made him carry it behind Jesus. And this is so interesting. It's fascinating because of the reversal of what's about to happen. Jesus, as a human, is unable to carry the heaviness and the burden. So he has to leave what's heavy behind, and he gives it to a human that he helped create. And so Jesus can walk freely. This is the exact reverse of what's about to happen. So now Jesus is on the cross. People's rebellion and hunger for violence has put him there. And in this moment, here's Jesus's response. Jesus has many wonderful words, but these might be the most wonderful in the scriptures. And these are our words for this week. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Some of us, if we grew up in the church, we've heard this phrase our whole lives, so we, we miss the power. This morning, let's try, let's try, let's try to put ourselves there. And the emotion and the pain and the betrayal is unthinkable. Father, Forgive them while enduring an unimaginable pain. His response is forgiveness. And you and I, we know how hard it is to forgive someone. Some of us, someone looks at us wrong and we'll hold on to that grudge for a week. Uh, Some of us have yet to forgive Patrick Mahomes for what he did to us last week. (laughs) Forgiving others is hard. But Jesus forgives to an unimaginable level. And so this entire Lent season, as we begin, we want to reflect on this unimaginable phrase. And the first question is, when Jesus says, forgive them, who is them? Who is them? Of course, he was speaking to the soldiers, literally nailing him there. Roman and Jewish leaders who conspired to make this happen. The mob shouting at him. The disciples who denied him. Definitely. He's offering forgiveness to them. But who else is them? Uh, You, you are them. 
You are. All of humanity before and after. And I'm going to say something this morning. It's a little socially uh, unacceptable to say, but it's this fact. You are a sinner. I don't know your story. I don't know your details, but I know you're a sinner because you are human. Now, we don't always use the word sin because admittedly there's a lot of baggage that comes from uh, many years of emotional and spiritual abuse in the church. But one of my favorite ways of thinking about sin in our modern context comes from uh, the writer Francis Spuford. And he says this, he says, sin is the human propensity to mess things up. (laughs) And he doesn't use the word mess. So I'm just warning you if you read any of his stuff. But I love this, though. We all have the propensity to mess things up. It isn't that we are horrible people or worms or we're not created in the image of God. It just means that we have this part of us in us that messes things up. When humans with best intentions start an organization, eventually it will mess up and take advantage of people. It will stray from the original mission. When humans enter into relationships with intentions of love and joy, eventually we mess up. We hurt others. We create distance. We create systems with good intentions, but those systems get messed up and injustice happens. We come up with lovely dreams and goals, but we mess them up because of our selfishness or our lack of discipline. And sure, there are fancier, more theological ways of saying this, but this definition feels appropriate for us, the propensity to mess things up. Now at Highway, we are different than other churches. Uh, we have a collection of the best people in Silicon Valley. <laughs> I've got to know a lot of you, and you're the best. You're kind, you're funny, you're successful, you're attractive, you're compassionate and humble, and even you still mess things up. You still mess things up. But lucky for you, I am here. <laughs> I'm a professional Christian, I'm a pastor. And so I don't mess things up, right? Uh, There's this historical tendency to put pastors up on a pedestal. uh, But one of my favorite definitions for a pastor comes from Eugene Peterson, who says the biblical fact is that there are no successful churches. There are instead communities of sinners gathered before God week after week in towns and villages all over the world. The Holy Spirit gathers them, does his work in them. In these communities of sinners, one of the sinners is called pastor and given a de- designated responsibility in the community. And it's simply to keep the community attentive to God. I love this so much. In a community of people that mess up, I am one of them. I don't mess up less than anyone. I simply have the responsibility of keeping our uh, community attentive to God. And this is key because... Uh, Usually what happens is when we mess up, we focus on ourselves. So we live in an individualized, self-sufficient world, so we tend to think that we can fix it ourselves. We feel the weight and the burden of our mess-ups, but we ignore it. And some of us, we internalize the burdens and weight. We hold on to them because of maybe fear or embarrassment. Some of us, we justify our mess. Theirs is worse than mine. Is my mic still on? You coming to tell me? Signals. Okay, it's the weight. 
This is part of the illustration. This is, <laughs> just go with it. Uh, and then here, some of us focus on self-improvement, right? We listen to podcasts, and we read scripture, and we do good habits or meditation. None of these things works. It doesn't fix our human propensity to mess things up. And so, so many times we don't address it. We carry our mistakes and our failures and our rebellion, and it just drags us down. And this is what Jesus offers at the cross. It's the great reversal. Because moments before, someone else carried the physical weight that he cannot, and now he offers to carry the spiritual weight that we cannot carry. He says, forgive them. He says, you don't have to carry it anymore You're not strong enough, but I am. Part of following Jesus is learning to leave what's heavy behind, to walk in freedom, to stop trying to pretend it's okay, to stop trying to justify, stop trying to fix everything, and just lay it at the feet of Jesus, to lay it at his feet. And so actually right now we're going to put this into practice Uh, We're going to have our moment of communion that we do every week and a little earlier than normal because communion is a weekly reminder of this offer from Jesus to leave what's heavy behind, to remember his words, forgive, yes, forgive them. They know not what they do. So right now I'm going to invite Jacob, uh, just play a little music underneath us. And uh, we remember that Jesus sat with his disciples at a table and he broke the bread. He said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. And he took the cup of wine. He said, this cup is the cup of my new covenant. When you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. I'm just going to pray for us and invite you to close your eyes and maybe just think of one of these burdens that you've been holding onto and carrying and then allow yourself as you partake in communion to lay it at his feet. Ask him to carry it for you. Jesus, it's not always uh, common for us in Silicon Valley to think deeply about the kind of uh, sin and emotional weight that we are carrying. So I pray that you would illuminate for us the things deep in our hearts and our souls that we just need to confess to you. We need to remember that you look on us with empathy and love and you are offering forgiveness. And so therefore, we don't have to carry it. We can lay it down. And so I pray for everyone in this room out on the patio right now as we uh, take the bread, as we drink. Would you help us to lay down burdens. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, the tables are open. Let's take communion together.
Now, as we continue our, our reflection upon this phrase, when Jesus says, forgive them, who is them? It's you. Yes, it's me. But it's also someone else. They are them. Jesus taught, if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. In the Lord's Prayer, he teaches his disciples to pray, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgiveness goes beyond us. Jesus connects our forgiveness with our ability to forgive others, them. Apparently, forgiveness is two sides of the same coin. But this this doesn't come naturally, right? (laughs) Uh, One of my favorite concepts is something called the attribution bias theory. This is a, a bias that happens like this. I'll give you an example. When I'm late for a meeting and I'm driving to the meeting, I drive pretty aggressively. Uh, why? Because I feel bad for being late. I want to respect my coworkers and job. I like my job. I want to do it well. So because of these good intentions and good reasons, maybe I cut someone off. Maybe I don't allow them to merge into my lane. Uh, Maybe I honk at someone at a green light if they don't go fast enough. But it's justifiable. Like, these are good reasons. But if I have the day off and I'm driving and my kids are with me, we're just listening to music, and someone cuts me off in traffic or doesn't let me merge into another lane or honks at me, what do I say about them? If my kids are in the car, hopefully nothing out loud. But I think... How selfish. Like, what a horrible person. Like, what are they even in a rush for? Why can't they just be calm and peaceful like me, a professional pastor? Uh, this whole theory is, is what we tend to do, right? We give ourselves the benefit of doubt. We fill in a narrative of good intentions. Because the reality is, uh, not all of us, but most of us are really trying our best We're trying to do good uh, things with good intentions. Uh, Actually, I just saw this sticker on a car yesterday, and I had to take a picture of it for you guys. The sticker says, this driver is trying their best. (laughs) I thought that was so good. Don't get mad at me. I'm trying my best. I was thinking, like, maybe we all need stickers on us at all times. Like, uh, this pastor is trying his best. Chill out. This mom is trying her best. Uh, because we want people to see this reality in us, right? I try my best. But with other people, we assume the worst, and we fill in a negative narrative. In other words, we judge them. But what we see, this is not what Jesus did. He did the opposite. In this moment, what does he say? He says, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. He could have filled in a narrative saying, these people are ungrateful, they were created by me, and now here they are yelling, asking for blood. He could have spoken a narrative about how horrible humans are, the manipulation by the leaders. He could have sworn to pay back with retributive justice. But instead, he shows empathy. He looks into the hearts of humans. He looks at their stories and says he forgives them because they don't know what they're doing. He sees the best in humanity, the best in people that are literally killing him. It's unimaginable. 
And the reality for many of us is our weight that we're carrying is not just something we have done, but it's a weight that we're holding on to that someone else has done, their behavior or their actions. Uh, And so our tendency is to hold on. And we fill in this narrative and it becomes a burden that weighs us down. Now, two quick caveats. The church has not historically always done a good job naming. The first caveat is this. Forgiveness doesn't mean justifying someone's behavior or actions. People sometimes do horrible things. They hurt others, abuse others. This doesn't mean it's okay or right. Forgiveness doesn't mean saying it's okay or that they should, there should be no consequences. That's part of justice. Forgiveness is about an internal, emotional release that goes beyond behaviors and actions. The second caveat is this. Forgiveness doesn't mean not having boundaries. Sometimes people are toxic, or they can be emotionally and physically abusive, or they interfere in our lives in unhealthy ways, and we need to cut them off. We need to have healthy boundaries. Forgiveness doesn't mean anything goes. It's actually a a way of letting them go without holding on to what they've done. So I want to end our time this morning. I want to show you a picture of a woman named Terry Roberts. In 2006, uh, she was driving uh, to her home in Pennsylvania when she heard on the the radio there had been a, a shooting in the neighboring Amish community. As she pulled into her driveway, her husband was standing outside with a state trooper, and it didn't take her long to realize the the horrible truth. Her son was the shooter. He had shot 10 girls, and five of them had died. And part of the reasoning for the shooting from her son was nine years earlier, the shooter experienced a premature death of his young daughter and apparently was never, never able to forgive God for allowing that to happen. He held on to this tragedy like a weight captive to this bitterness. But what happened next was a reversal of this reality. Uh, Terry was overwhelmed with guilt and shame from what her son had done. And she assumed she would never be able to face her Amish neighbors. She assumed they would need to move away to another part of the country. But when the day of her son's funeral came, she was shocked because over 40 of her Amish neighbors came to attend to offer support and hugs and care. She says this, there are no words to describe how that made us feel that day. For the mother and father who had lost not just one, but two daughters at the hand of our son to come up and be the first ones to greet us. Wow. And she says, is there anything in this life we should not forgive? And after this happened, one of the girls who was shot, she now has to live with a terrible brain injury. And now Terry, the mom of the shooter, goes over to her house once a week to bathe her, to clothe her, and to read to her. And now Terry and some of the Amish parents will go around traveling to places of school shootings to simply support the, uh, the parents in times of tragedy. This is a horrible tragedy. It's not okay. It's not justified. And we don't know why people do things like this, but this response is an example for us of how to move forward and bring Jesus' kingdom into an unjust world. In an interview, Aaron Esch, he's one of the fathers who lost his daughter, 
He said this, forgiveness is the one good thing that can come out of this tragedy. He said, forgiveness is a journey. It took a few years to feel what it really really meant inside of him. But when he did find the compassion, this is what he said. These are his words. He said, I felt the great weight falling off me. I felt lighter. That's the choice we all have. We can carry these burdens forever or we can leave what's heavy behind. So right now we're going to spend a moment with God and I invite you to close your eyes again with me. And here's what I want to ask you to do. I want, to think, I want you to think of something lingering in your heart. Something you're carrying, something you're holding on to, something someone has done or said. Maybe it's big, maybe it's small. Just like Aaron said, forgiveness is a journey. At some point along the journey, maybe you'll want to go to this person and offer forgiveness. But for now, let's see if we can leave it to God. Getting beyond the bitterness, the pain, the regret, and drop it. So I want to just give us a space, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, and invite the band back up. And remember that God is present, that Jesus is here with us. And as you think of that thing, spend some moments asking God to take it, to leave it in his hands.